0: <laughs> Alright, that's Cody's Clap, and we are on with episode six of our uncommon
1: cast. And we're here today with a very exciting secret faraway guest.
0: Ooh, yes. And we were wondering, we were wondering what title we were going to give our, our guest, and we went with Shaman.
2: Oh, nice. I like it.
0: So who, followed
1: by mystic.
0: So the mystical shaman today we have with us, Dr. Bruce Humphrey, who has been an incredible, incredible man in our lives as mentor, mm-hmm. as shaman, as mystic, as Holy perturber, Holy <laughs> perturber. Um, Bruce has been a, a pastor for every one of us, an incredible influencer of every one of us. And then, an, amazing man of God that we worked for as he was head pastor. And, um, honestly, he gave each one of us on, on, uh, each one of us at the table today, these in just incredible opportunities to, um, step into ministry. And, uh, he believed in us and saw more in us than we saw in ourselves. And Mm -hmm. we're just like, we're grateful that for this man who is on our podcast today.
1: That's true. And if you don't know Bruce, um, he is pretty much responsible for us getting to do what we're doing right now. And if we could just boil it down. I mean, pretty much you and our dear friend Jeannie oh, yes. plucked us from the basement, gave us opportunity. We had no business being handed. And, uh, you know... We just got to partner with you, and you grew us into some of what we are today, which is so exciting. So thank you for being here with us.
2: Yeah, thank
0: you. Oh, another title that we have to share, you know, that you have over the years, you know, you've been a pastor in robes, but you're also known in other circles as the pastor in socks. Um, And you can read about that in Bruce's books, that he is just this down-to-earth pastor who had come wandering in to your office just wearing socks going how are you doing what's (laughs) what do you love about what you're doing now what are some obstacles about what you're doing now and it was uh yeah just wonderful wonderful to work with you Mm -hmm. and to see that how many years in ministry do you have bruce as a pastor and
2: missionary and mystic and so i went past 40 so 40 plus years in ministry wow ordained and started in mission work in 1978.
0: Now here's what we're excited to ask you. We, we all, we all know you as, as the head pastor of a, of a main denominational church, right? Um, large church context, but now tell us what you are doing way out there in Pennsylvania.
2: So at retirement, I, uh, I needed to reinvent myself at age sixty-six and figure out who God intends me to be for this next season of life. And a kind of unexpected, um, serendipitous moment—ding, ding, ding! Serendipitous. That's a vocabulary bell. Where's your bell? We got a bell. Yeah. All right, there you go. See, I need Pavlovian reward. Give me a reward here when I do. Something. Oh, Pavlovian! Bruce is coming Whoa. up with them. <laughs> Honest, I didn't practice this ahead of time. So, so here's the cool thing that happened: was I knew I was done with kind of institutional religion. I was wearing down on it. Really, my last ten years of ministry. I did. You guys were part of my story when I was asking a question: Do I want to even stay in my denomination? Do I want to align myself with an Egyptian denomination? Remember Ryan? I told you about that. And just I was like fed up with. American Christianity in the institution and just feeling like this isn't this isn't where Jesus would want the church to be but there's enough kind of corporate structure that I could they gave me enough freedom to work within so those of you that know me over the long term know that my passions really come down to a couple things deep spirituality mysticism align my life with the holy spirit moment by moment day by day all that dynamic that's a big part of who I am. So devotional life and spiritual life. But the other thing is I kept taking institutional church, American church that I inherited in mid 20th century, and trying to figure out how do we flip this thing inside out? Because mm-hmm. mostly we become an, an attractional model of saying, we're doing all the right things inside this building. So all the rest of you come and join us because right. we've got it right. And when I started saying, I don't think we have it right, and I don't think this is the way Christianity is supposed to look, partly because I got way more internationally connected. Travels to South Africa, Ryan and Don did that with me on one of the trips, Nepal, South America. The more internationally connected I got, the more dissatisfied I came with America and American Christianity and what we've got now. So what I finally did was I ended up going back to my roots and rediscovering a experience of cross-cultural interfaith conversations that are respectful and caring. I had lived in Clinkett culture for a number of years. I had learned to shed some of my Western white Americanism, and I got back to that. And so I started engaging in Interfaith dialogue. I actually went to a local college campus and said, Hey, I'm a newly retired guy, 40 years of ministry. What could I do? And the guy in charge of this one part of student services said, We want to get connected with interfaith. And you've got some of that kind of experience. You've got cross cultural experience. Help us figure this out. So I just, I'm teaming up with him, I'm working under his leadership. We're figuring out how to do the dance together of my offering suggestions, asking questions. But the core of it is, can't we figure out how to be more respectful of each other and better appreciate each other? So when you guys tapped into last podcast about the whole thing of walls and barriers and why are we having these issues, it was resonating with me. Like, I'd love to be part of that conversation.
3: Yeah, well, let me say... I love your beard, by the way. But also,
2: (laughs) I've had it almost a year now. And Don, you'll appreciate I don't have any little old ladies complaining about me at this
1: point. (laughs) My number of little old ladies complaining about me has really decreased as well. So, see, it's (laughs) finally, it goes away after a while.
2: The height of the rhinoceros.
3: (laughs) Yes, the rhino. Oh, Oh, man. So tell tell us you said that it sparked you our last episode. Tell us about what sparked you, what went through your head, what would you like to say back to us about that?
2: Yeah, so Cody, you said something awesome. And oh. Each of you, I'm going to pinpoint something that really struck me and got to me. I'm going to start with Cody. You made a comment about our dualistic thinking in our society, that how did we get to this place? And I've thought a lot about that since the last election. Where are we with our internal... Uh, tribalism, and we're living in our own zone of, I only want to talk to people that think the way I think and agree with my view, Mm -hmm. and all that. And I think, historically, that is a pretty American way of approaching life. I actually think it comes out of capitalism and competition, that when you enter Mm -hmm. life with an American understanding, that capitalistically, our businesses are competing with each other, for having some uh, engagement with the customer and we teach the customer, we have the right product and they don't. All that competitive thinking divides into us and them, right and wrong, do it our way, not their way, all of that dynamic that happens. And in interfaith dialogue, there's there's really no place for competition. Mm. If you enter it with, we Christians have the real truth and you Buddhists, you Hindus, you Muslims, you don't know what you're talking about. So let me tell you about salvation in Jesus. And that what, what we're doing is we are engaging in a classic American conversation that says, somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. And through the years of my marriage, I wrestled with that. Kate and I once finished an argument with me saying, why do you always have to be right and I always have to be wrong? And she just looked at me calmly and said, I didn't think this was an argument. I thought we were like together on the same side trying to work something out, which shows where I was coming from. I was coming from a more of a masculine, testosterone driven, someone's got to win and somebody's got to lose. And that's how we have conversations. So Cody, when you mentioned dualistic thinking, I immediately thought one of the things I quickly shed as I engage more in interfaith conversations with a variety of people out of different, Traditions and backgrounds and, and spiritual experience and non spiritual experience, atheist conversations, all of that is I have to shed my dualistic, right or wrong kind of thinking. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Wow.
1: Can I, okay, that yeah. totally sparked a, a huge question for me, um, which is, okay, how do you then, right? Cause you said, we, you can't come in as a Christian and, and say I have the corner on truth. I'm right. Jesus, here's let me tell you about salvation. So uh, some Christians might ask you the follow-up question. Then, okay, so how do you lead somebody to Jesus?
2: So let me take Don because you said something in the last podcast, and I'm going to intertwine that now. With what you just asked where does evangelism fit in? Some of that kind of thing. And uh, you made a comment and said part of the caricature of Christianity has been that Christianity got tied in with power.
3: Mm -hmm. So
2: whether we're aligned with political power, economic power, when we colonize others from a power position, then our evangelism is a power discussion. I have what's right, and you poor person don't know what you don't know, and so you're needy and you're... And so I'm going to give you the answer to your problems. And what we do is we come from the power position of, I'm correct, you're not, I'm right, you're wrong. But if we come into the conversation from a humility aspect, I'm not bringing power to this conversation, I'm just one human being and I've got my life experience And what has turned my life around and what's become core to how I believe and the way I function in my life and how I make my important decisions and how I interact relationally with family, with friends, with my neighborhood, core to who I am is I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying that that's right for everybody. I just know that's right for me. Tell me about your tradition. Tell me about your practice. I don't know anything about Buddhism. What do I not know? What could we learn from each other? So I think what we do is we enter the conversation with genuine humility and curiosity that we have more to learn and we have something to share. And there's a place for that spiritual conversation. Mm -hmm. I think the best evangelism happens when people overhear the gospel. It's not even a one-on-one. I'm going to tell you what I know and what you don't know. It's their overhearing in a cafe two Christians that are discussing, you know what the Lord's working on in my life? And you know what's that? And they, they're they curious because it's like, wow, I've never heard anybody talk about the Lord that way. And what, what Lord are you talking about? What do you mean? And now we're entering into a humble mutual conversation. So I still believe in evangelism, but I believe in evangelism out of my story and experience not a doctrinal evangelism that starts with, here's the right set of beliefs. Now let me convince you how this is right for you too.
3: So good. good. good.
0: You know, Bruce, that makes me think, um, there's this song that always comes to mind when, when I hear of entering a place with humility and it's that Micah 6, that what does the Lord require of us, but to do justly, um, to seek mercy and to walk humbly with, with the Lord. And that, that leadership style or that conversational or relational style of walking humbly, um, is so powerful. I've, I've seen it in, I've seen it in you. I've seen it in, um, what we, what we get to do now. I've seen Mm -hmm. it in each one of you. And, um, that is a powerful way to enter with, um, the goal of just loving the other um, and not having the aden- agenda to change the other, and I know that that you 're in that that space a lot, and one of the conversations we wanted to to ask you about and you 've been floating this on social media too is um, about commonalities um, what are what are the common denominators of humanity and and faith that we can enter into as equals? Um and,
1: and even where have you been surprised after yeah. forty plus years mm-hmm. in ministry, you know, where have you been surprised by truth outside of your boundaries? Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. So I I am definitely changing my understanding of inner faith. So wind back to 30-plus years ago, I'm doing a doctorate, a doctorate ministry, and I do it on interfaith, and I'm looking for biblical examples I can share with college students and write a thesis on the theme of, do we have biblical examples of people in interfaith conversations? How did they handle it? How did, does a faithful Hebrew person dialogue with somebody who's from a pagan religion, and what are those instances? And to be honest, I think a lot of interfaith a generation ago was kind of, can't we all just get along? Mm-hmm. Which was basically a conversation about what's the lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. And so I I genuinely thought compromise and lowest common denominator, and let's all find what we have in common, is a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful place to start. One of the big surprises I'm learning in current interfaith dialogue on college campus is my interaction with Muslim students and with Hindu students, those two more than some of the others, that start from a different place of the conversation. Because embedded within their understanding of faith and their practice of faith is a appreciation for diversity as core to goodness. Mm -hmm. Goodness looks like diversity of colors of flowers and I'm looking out my window and I see some of my trees are evergreen trees that last all winter and some of my trees have shed all their leaves and they're bare now and isn't that cool that there are different kinds of leaves and core to Hinduism core to Islam is an understanding that diversity is intentional and good and there's not just one right answer or one right way to do things And so I enter the conversation listening for some of their practice and dialoguing with them, which now here, Ryan, I want to tie in something you said in the last podcast that stirred me and and made me stop and think, and that is Jesus as a model. Here's what I think Jesus did that we've lost in our kind of, and I'm pretty critical right now, you can tell, of institutional kind of westernized American Christianity, but you guys knew me well enough to know that was bubbling up all the time inside me, and the institution was not an easy fit for me. But here's what I notice about Jesus when he interacts with somebody who asks an honest question, he engages in an honest conversation. Mm -hmm. Somebody asks him a fake question that has an agenda behind it, he always gets irritated with them. You Pharisees. Always and his interactions like you you're not—you're not asking me because you actually want to know why people eat on the Sabbath. You're setting up a trap that you want to try to convince us that we should follow all the Sabbath rules. Mm-hmm. I'm not engaging that fake question. Here's what I think: a lot of evangelicalism and institutional American Christianity did. Here it goes. We ask questions with an agenda. We're trying to get at what we want to get at. And it's really hard to engage a genuine curiosity question when somebody's willing to ask something or we're willing to ask something and say, I don't know this. I'm just curious about it. What is your understanding? What is your practice of this? So it's been a big learning thing. I've I've realized how often we're not really listening to each other. We're trying to wait for the next chance we get to give the answer that we already think is the right answer we need to give? And how much better if we become a deeply curious person that really wants to listen and learn something? So that's been a a big learning for me, not just lowest common denominator, but engage the diversity with curiosity and say, I I just want to know something about this because I don't know anything about Islam. The other day I was in a conversation with some students and a Christian student asked the Muslim student, how do you know the noontime prayer? Is it middle of the day? Is it, And just, I love that question because it was like, I have no agenda here. I just, I don't know what I don't know. Can you help me? So I'm really working at and learning to engage those questions. One of the things, here's another big learning for me is that I thought all religion and institutional religion revolved around belief. But that's a very, protestant way of approaching faith
3: Mm -hmm. what do you mean
2: so we protestants start with believing doctrines about do you believe that jesus is your savior he died on the cross for your sins that's a belief choice do you believe that he was born of the virgin mary so we're approaching faith through doctrine and saying what do you believe here's what i'm learning comes from other religions of the world it's not important what they believe. It's important what they practice. And so there are spiritual practices. If I ask somebody, so tell me your doctrine about, tell me, they don't even know how to answer that question. It's so Protestant in its formation. But instead of asking a question about belief and doctrine, I say, tell me about your spiritual practice. I I know you're a faithful Muslim. And then they begin to talk about routines of the daily prayer time and routines of gathering with each other and when they have their Friday service and then when they have meals or holidays. All that kind of stuff is about practice. And if I want to approach an atheist student and interact with somebody who's atheist, they have spiritual practices. They still practice Christmas. They just don't believe the doctrine about Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. So I can still engage that conversation like, tell me what your family practices are around Christmas time. Well, we put up a tree and we do that. Oh, that's cool. I put up a tree too. And I So I love engaging with practice. I love en- g- engaging with diversity and celebrating diversity. What can I learn from you? What are your practices? And- there's a lot of room for growth from a lot of different traditions. So I, did, I had not realized how Protestant I was until I began to discover many people of the world don't engage in doctrinal, thoughtful theology. They engage in practices that they grew up with, and it's important in their community. Mm. And We practice these things, not we believe these things.
3: Hmm. Can I ask, <clears throat> have you seen or have you figured out where, where does belief and faith show up in those, in those uh, conversations?
2: Yeah, I actually responded to somebody in a, in a Facebook conversation the other day and reflected because they were saying something about your beliefs. And I responded and said, I'm learning to, to pay more attention to practices and people's practices. So if I ask, for instance, a conversation about you have five, day, five times a day prayer as a Muslim. Tell me about the practice of that. Do you, like, do you have to kneel every single time? What if you're in a store and you're shopping and it's time for prayer? And just what are your practices? How does that fit? Well, we have an app that tells us the direction toward Mecca. We don't always have to bow down, we, always, we don't always have to have a mat, but it's an attitude of heart of humbling myself and submitting. And I'm like, wow, I want to learn more about. Where is this humbling myself? Because I'm really into humbling myself and seeking the Lord and just, so how do you pray? Well, we pray the names of God. I love that, the names of God. So give me some of the names, the merciful, the almighty. Tell me about almighty and merciful. And I just love engaging in those kinds of conversations. And then I have places where I interact and say, when I understand almighty, I struggle with almighty because there's warfare and there's disease and bad things happen to good people. And so how is God almighty or in what extent does God allow freedom? And we engage in freedom and just, so we're starting to talk about things we believe mm. We're engaging in belief conversations through how do those practices work for you? And so does that make sense? It's some okay. of those kinds of things
3: that Kind of like a byproduct of starting the conversation. There leads to the conversations about belief. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
3: Do you know? It's interesting because you shifted
0: the focus on the orthopraxy, the action, over the orthodoxy, the doctrine, the belief. Um, Though those three listings of what pleases the Lord in Micah six eight are, are actions, right? To do justly, to to seek mercy and to walk humbly are all, um, physical manifestations of what your doctrine is, but those are the focuses, right? Yeah. But then there's this feeling though, um, there's this feeling though that you, as a follower of Jesus, um, with the with the, uh, with the command to make disciples, it, you are the, uh, the messenger and the, the truth corrector. So when you enter conversations where there is diversity and you know that you believe that you hold this, uh, this truth that is really salvation, it's life or death truth, what do you do with that responsibility of feeling like I need to be the truth corrector in this place where there's difference in belief?
2: Yeah. So I'm not sure I would define myself as a truth corrector. Um, that's never been my strength is like authoritarian, do it this way because this is right. So I'm wired differently from that. Um, having said that, I think there are places in respectful conversations where we work to create enough safety that we can say the hard thing. And the hard thing usually is an I statement. I'm not sure that's where I'm at. I'm not sure. Rather than you need to understand that that's a really bad belief because it'll play out badly in your life. Or da, da. It's like, you know, that wouldn't work for me. And here's why it wouldn't work for me, because I've made a pledge to my family that I will protect them and be faithful to them, whatever my, so I start with I statements when I want to say hard things, but if there's safety in the conversation and there's genuine respect for each other's identity, which by the way, is another thing I'm moving toward is respect for identity over doctrine or beliefs or those kind of things. It's like, tell me who you are, Don, you and I had a conversation like that about the gay agenda, so-called, quote, quote, gay agenda. And you're like, I just know a gay person who's my friend. I don't know that they have an agenda. I don't, I, I don't know where this gay agenda conversation mm-hmm. comes from. Well, my answer is it comes from political power structures that are trying to figure out how do we dualistically think right and wrong, and this is right. And So for me, I can engage that conversation and say, well, I'm not wired that way. But help me understand this. And I I have a mystical deep belief that the Holy Spirit's doing a lot more than we are doing. And so it's kind of like, you know, at the end of this conversation, whatever seeds have been planted in each other's lives, I actually think God's going to take it from there. And so I think we just did a cool spiritual thing. We talked about some stuff. We said some hard things that both of us have to think more about. And I think God's at work in our lives.
1: That's actually somewhere that we have been moving. And I think it it involves the movement away from traditional mainline Christianity to be able to think some of these things um, for a variety of reasons. But one of them that I want to ask your opinion about that I've been hearing a lot about lately um, is this, that Christians, the caricature of Christianity, um they use scripture to end conversations, whereas um, like in the traditional Hebraic tradition, scripture was the starting place for conversation. And so to me, that plays a role in this dualistic, in this power play, um, right and wrong mentality that we have created and some of that that we need to pull away. But what do you think about that statement?
2: I love that statement. Yeah, I think that's a years ago I was traveling overseas and somebody had had a negative interaction with a very devout Christian that needed to make it clear that I'm a Christian and you're not and whatever and in the process after the other person walked away there was kind of an apologetic side of me like wow that was not a please know that that doesn't represent all the rest of us and that I feel embarrassed that that was the interaction that just happened. And the person said an awesome thing. They said, there are some people who take the Bible literally and other people who take the Bible seriously. Mm. (laughs) I thought that was a huge statement. I meant it was like, I'm going to hold on to that. That just because, so I think there are those approaches that use the Bible as a hammer, to end a conversation and prove I'm right, this conversation's over. And I don't see Jesus doing that to anybody. If anything, he would do that to somebody who's asking a fake question with an agenda and say, Mm -hmm. you know what, that doesn't even deserve an answer because you're not really asking me to do anything with your life. And so if it's a genuine question, then let's engage that question. What do you think is going on in this scripture? And one of the things I've learned to do is you can do that with any good story that has complexity and intrigue to it. And and I can take a Hindu story and say, what do you hear happening in this story? What do you think is going on here? And we can share with each other. And So interfaith involves a lot of let's engage that story and see what we think is happening and what resonates and speaks to us those kinds of things. So yeah, I love using scripture to open the conversation and engage the curiosity. Here's one of the things I thought about with your last podcast that is a general broad comment because all three of you are parents of children. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me, cause you all know from my Facebook post that I'm in a, a pastor improv group. <laughs> improv is like teaching us to rediscover our childishness and rediscover creativity and silliness that we thought we had to outgrow. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, when Jesus is saying, become like little children, when children look at something they don't get locked in on, this stapler is always used to staple a piece of paper together, and they just look at a stapler creatively and say, mom, what does this do? And And it becomes a plane for them, and they play with it, and they can make, Revving noises and turn it into a truck or a car or I mean their imagination is wonderful, and somewhere along the way we lost that creativity, imagination in childhood, and we thought growing up means I have to believe certain things, I have to get it right, I have to have the right answer, I have to be an adulty adult, and just and it's like yeah, why don't we just get creative again? Ryan, I've watched you do that with object lessons where you take some object, a Coke bottle or something, and you turn it into something that's creative and not just a container for Coke anymore. So it's those kinds of things that I think we can engage in child imagination fantasy that opens up creativity. I think those are the places that spirituality takes us if we're open for it.
0: Bruce, that, mm. that is so good. Um, but, like, revisiting our our childlikeness makes me think of a book that if someone is out there that wants to read a book about this, there's a book called Dangerous Wonder by Mike Iaconelli that is incredible oh, about rediscovering our childlike mm-hmm. faith. Um, we are so thankful to you, Bruce, for taking this time today. And I knew it. We were going to want a two-parter. We're going to yeah. want... We're going to want more of this if you're okay okay, all the way from Pennsylvania to do this again. Do it again. Oh, so good.
3: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again, Bruce. We're going to wrap it up. And thanks to all the listeners. Uh, You can find us at uncommongoodsd.com. You can go to one of our events. Uh, You'll find our events at uncommongoodsd.com slash events. And that's
0: us. Wait, I got to say, maybe today can be sponsored by Church of the Nile. Oh. <laughs> because that is your other ordination. And you talked about it earlier in this episode. <laughs> I
2: remember that. Yeah, that's right. You even have a plaque that says they want you, Bruce. <laughs> I know. That, that was their response. They said, we're not ready to ordain you and take you out of America, a, but we'll give you this plaque.
1: <laughs> Honorary. Honorary. <laughs> that's right. I want to be a part of the Church of Denial.
2: (laughs) The the Nile.
0: Oh, oh, the Nile. The Nile.
1: The
2: river. The river. (laughs) Love you, Bruce. Hey, love you guys. Thanks for this time. This is awesome.